Happy New Year. I, uh, you know, I, I'm realizing this, every year I get older, I, I'm realizing I dread the week between Christmas and New, Year, New Year's more and more and more. And it's for two reasons. Number one, um, because you get to New Year's, and I don't know how it goes in your neck of the woods, okay? But in our neighborhood, I'm convinced that uh, our block is confused. They think that midnight on New Year's Eve is the 4th of July. And um, I'm convinced actually we've got neighbors somewhere near us that they don't just go to Wyoming for fireworks. I think they own the stand up there um, because it is just, it's crazy, right? And it's no longer right at midnight. Somebody, somebody needs to be first because they need to be able to say, we were first. So like 1138 the other night. I mean, it's like, bottle rockets and mortar shells. And, uh, and here's the thing. Some of us have been in bed for three hours. All right. You know, midnight hits and I'm, I'm out. I'm just totally out on the couch. And the, you know, I had, I had heard probably 20 minutes prior to midnight, something go off outside. And if you know my wife, you know, she's a night owl. She very likely lit whatever that was that went off outside. But midnight hits and she is just jumping up and down. Happy New Year, Happy New Year. And I'm thinking, listen, I believe you, okay? The louder you yell doesn't mean that I'm gonna believe you more, okay? I know we've turned a page on the calendar. Um, But it's just one of those where I I just dread it because I'm I'm a early morning person. It's hard for me to stay up late. This was was our dog the other night as fireworks were going off. Um, That was him right there. Yeah, this fierce beast is hiding under the blankets. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's us right there, uh, except for Kara. Now, the other reason I, I just can dread New Year's is because there is this, and I don't know, maybe you have this. I've talked to a few people who do. Somewhere beginning in November and throughout December, there is this thing deep down inside of us. It's like this motivation that starts building. And you just start looking toward the new year and there's a sense of once we get through Christmas, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something in the new year. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna change me and it's new year, new you, new everything. I'm gonna change the world. You know, you would get that thing that rises up inside of us. And um, just to start off your new year with great news, I, I, I need to tell you something. That if you were to set if you were to set our resolutions against a large enough time frame, every single one of them will fail. So happy new year. Welcome to West Bowls. We're, we're so glad you joined us this morning. But I tell you that because that is possibly the best, most liberating news you could hear in your life based on what happened one day with two disciples as they encountered Jesus. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. We're actually gonna camp out in this passage in John chapter one for the next few weeks. But I want you to just read I just want you to, to hear from God's word what happened to two disciples that could possibly be such great news when all their plans seemingly went out the window. This is John chapter one, verse 35. John, the apostle John, who wrote the gospel of Jesus says, the next day, John, now he's not referring to himself here. He's referring to John the Baptist, okay? And John the Baptist operated in a certain area. What did John the Baptist do? He baptized. All right, there we go. So John the Baptist is in an area where he just day after day is baptizing people. And so John, the the gospel writer says, the next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb 
of God. Now, this is a reference to something he had said the day before. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know if this was on these two disciples' radar. I mean, this was a big, bold statement. But we see the effect. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And already read this and you think, what? John, you just preached away two of your disciples. The goal is not to lose people. The goal is to gain some followers. But John would look at you and he would look at me and he'd say, not when Jesus shows up on the scene. When Jesus shows up on the scene, you want to know what the goal is? To change direction. That whoever, whatever influence I have, whoever is following me, the goal, whatever direction I'm set in going, on going, the goal is to change direction. So they are pointed at Jesus. Now, now just think about that for a minute, just for a moment. I mean, isn't this the time of year where we, we tend to set a direction and we say, I, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to, what's the word? Resolve right? A resolution is I'm going to resolve. I'm going to muster all my willpower, every, every ounce of strength I have, and I'm going this direction. And John the Baptist goes, well, until Jesus shows up on the scene. And then, and then your direction might change, but it continues. The direction hasn't just changed. Something else has changed. John chapter one, verse 38 says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? Now, it's easy to read this with a tone. Like, what do you want? You know, isn't that how we often encounter, we think God sees us? What do you want? I'm busy. I've got the whole world to take care of. I'm the sovereign God of the universe. And you're thinking maybe, what would God want with me? And so you read this and you think, he's looking at you going, what do you want? But as you keep reading, that is not, that is not the tone that God himself, Jesus takes when asking this question, he's really getting at something. He's saying, what is it? When you explore your life and when you explore your heart, what do you want? See, this is what we're trying to get at anytime we come up with resolutions. Whether you're a resolution person or not in the new year, don't we all at some point come up against this, just this, this self-reflective moment where we go, gosh, what do I, what do I want in my life? In what direction am I going? And so Jesus says, what do you want? What what are you here for? What are you hoping I will do for you? And keep in mind, these are disciples who would follow Jesus. And if you were to be able to fast forward in time from this point, as we see in the gospels, you'd know some of these disciples had some desires. They wanted power. They wanted to be the greatest. They wanted their picture of the kingdom. They wanted the Romans done away with. And finally, God's people are like the world superpower. See, they had some desires. It's so interesting, the answer that comes from them. Because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I'm one of these disciples and Jesus looks at me and he says, what do you want? I'm thinking, okay, is it a Ferrari? Is it a bigger salary? Is it uh, it just a more comfortable, smooth life? And here is their answer. They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And I have to think if I'm the disciple who said that, I'd also be thinking, what, what just came out of my mouth? I mean, this man that John the Baptist holds in such high regard, he speaks so highly of, has just said, what do you want? 
and I'm asking where he's staying? And here's what I think this is about. This question reflects something that sits in the depths of every single human heart. That no matter what you want, no matter what resolutions you've made, no matter what it is that you desire, there's something deeper sitting below that. And you know what it is? It's this, the founding pastor of this church, George Kirsten said this over and over and over. And it took me years to finally get it. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every single human being. There's a God-shaped vacuum. There's an empty space that only God can fill. And that's what this question's getting at. That below that desire, before that, below that thing that you and I want, there's something deeper than that. You may have heard of the gospel song, Just a Closer Walk With Thee. Just a Closer Walk With Thee. I was reading about the, the origins of this song and the background of it. And I was amazed to read that back in the 1800s, during the Civil War era, this was, this was a song that was sung by slaves as they worked in the fields on plantations. And then as I did some more research, I noticed it, it didn't just stop there. It didn't stop in the 1860s. It kept going. And there were, it, it, you, you can, excuse me, you can pull up on Wikipedia a list of about 60 different artists that have performed this song. And they come from different walks of life and different backgrounds. Elvis Presley performed this song. You've got Willie Nelson and Patsy Cline performed this song. Eric Clapton, Wynton Marsalis. Back in 2013 or 2015, Jack White of the White Stripes performed this song. The Yvette Brothers. And you start looking at the, just the broad spectrum of people who have, have performed this song and, and how it resonated with them. And you realize, wow, from every walk of life, no matter where you come from, who you are, what you look like, what area you live in, there is something at the base of the human heart that says, Jesus, you know what I really want? It's what the disciples asked. Where are you present? Because wherever you're present is where I want to be. More than any desire, more than any earthly desire, I just want to be where you're at. And so Jesus responds to him. John 139. Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, I got to be honest, this day and age, in, in a day and age where we've got all the information at our fingertips, isn't it true that we're going to do a lot of like investigating before we go with him? I mean, if, if you don't know who this is, you're probably doing a background check. You're trying to figure out what, what kind of trouble am I getting myself into? Is this a scam? What's the catch? You know, is he going to pull one over on me? And what, this, what, what you're really seeing here is that the appearance of Jesus on the horizon of their lives and, and of your life and my life, it really undermines. It undermines the directions we want to go. It undermines the desires that we've got. It undermines every detail. You notice Jesus gave them no detail. He said, just come. Just come and see. Jesus was perfectly fine that they might go, no, no. I need more information. What he asked them to do was in faith, just come and you will see. And so whatever direction they had in mind when they woke up that morning, it changed. Whatever desires they might've been thinking that they wanted, he got underneath them. Whatever details they were hoping to get, he offered none of it. Because there's a truth for them and a truth for you and me that the presence of Jesus in our life undermines it undermines our direction, our desires, our details. 
I remember it was about, it was just over 10 years ago. <clears throat> I was sitting with, we were working with a high school group here at the church. And I was sitting with this graduated senior at Starbucks. It was toward the end of the summer. And I remember just saying, what's next? What are your plans? And I remember, I mean, I was impressed. He had it laid out. Some graduated seniors are like, I don't know what I'm doing past lunch today, okay? I mean, that's most of us, isn't it? Past noon, I, I don't know what is in store for today. But I remember him saying, okay, I'm gonna, I've got this plan. I want to go to the Navy. I'm going to study to become a doctor. And uh, on the heels of that, when I get out, I'm going to be married. And I remember just thinking, that's cute. It's, it's really cute. Like, it's just all that smooth. And it was not to be cynical. It's, it was really just this realization that many of you know far better than me. The more life you live, I'm not calling anybody old, okay? But the more life you live, the more you understand that things change. Direction changes. Desires shift. Details have to be let go of sometimes, don't they? And the reason I thought this was not, again, it wasn't because I was being cynical. It was because I was in the middle of my own experience of God bringing me to a deeper realization of that. We had uh, just, just a few weeks before that, I remember I had a few years prior, my dream was, you've heard it, I wanted to be a firefighter. It just, it just didn't work out. I went pretty far along in the process, didn't work out. And I just had a moment one day. We had, we had arranged to take the junior hires here in the youth group to Waterworld, okay? Now, when you go to Waterworld and it's the sun and it's the chlorine and everything else, it, you're just done. When you get to the end of the day, you're done, okay? I love you junior hires. I just was done at the end of the day. And so I remember there are two kids left. They're getting picked up by the same person, but like this parent is just not showing up and not showing up and not showing up. And I'm thinking... Okay, we've, we've just had this policy here. No, like, until that last kid is picked up, just somebody's got to stay with them. Something's staying with these two kids. And, and I remember they're just running around. You know, they had decided to wait till the end of the day to open their energy drinks. Really appreciate that. And I'm sitting on the curb, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, anytime now. This, this parent should be showing up. And I'm feeling something on my back. And one of them had brought home a ketchup packet from Waterworld and poked a pinhole in it. And he's just spraying the back of my new shirt. And I remember just thinking, okay, I was going to be a firefighter. Like, what am I doing with my life right now? Or, or no, God, what are you doing to my life right now? And as things progressed, that ended up being a very difficult season. In fact, it was, it was a matter of months after that. There, there was a dear group of friends that we uh, really grew up here at the church with that just, um, they were having a hard time. And one night they gathered a group of us, or about eight, eight of us, and they said, listen, we're leaving. And we're all going. And I remember as my wife and I drove home that night, we we're going to meet again the next week. I remember just going, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than the heartbreak of we were all gonna be in this together and we were gonna walk forward together. And this was the plan, this was the direction. And I remember my heart just aching and breaking, but the thing that was sitting there was, God's saying, stay, we're here. And, and Kara said, amen, absolutely. And so that next week we're meeting with this group of friends and I'll never forget when we told them, you know what, it just, we're gonna stay. We're going to stay. And immediately, you know what the question was? Oh, Nathan. 
what are What's your plan? What are you going to do? I mean, at the time, I'm working with junior high kids, and aside from one day at the end of Waterworld, I loved doing it, but I still wondered what on earth was happening with my life. (laughs) And I'll never forget the words that came out of my mouth, and I don't even know where they came from. I said, I just just imagined sharing the word of God with people. And we're on our way home, and Kara's like, what on earth just came out of your mouth? And she had no idea, and I had no idea what the implications of that were. But at the time, all all I knew is, Jesus, you are undermining. It feels like you're just, no direction is working. The desires aren't working out. The details just have to be let go of. The very presence of Jesus in your life and in my life, in the life of these disciples, will undermine every direction, every desire, and every detail, and you will not understand why until you read the rest of verse 39. Listen to this. So, after he says, come and you will see, so, they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Now, here's this thing we do when we read the Bible. This seems like a side detail, doesn't it? I mean, we think of that afternoon for them spending it with Jesus, and we think of it it about as long as it takes to read the sentence. But can we pause there? Can you imagine what that afternoon was for these two disciples who had had the direction changed, their desires maybe shifted or or gone, gone deeper with, and the details that they didn't know? What was this afternoon like? See, because a lot of times we read this, we see the word Jesus show up in scripture and he's, he's just a guy. You know, we sing about him and it's just, it's just this guy that's hanging out. And yet, if you were to come back to the beginning of John chapter one, you understand there is something so much more than this. And there's a reason that the direction and the desires and the details seemingly get undermined. Come back to John, the beginning of chapter one. The next day, John, I'm sorry, I'm going back even further. (laughs) In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is a reference to Jesus. Through him, all, all things were made. This is not just some guy. This is the word that existed before any other creature on this earth existed, before this earth existed. In the beginning was God, and through him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, this is not just the word that was with God and was God and existed before all of us, this is the word that illuminates everything that has never been overcome, that will never be overcome. John continues, the true light in verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So he's God, he has always existed, he is light, and he is the reason that you and that I and these two disciples one day and anybody else who confesses his name can become a child of God. 
It's not even done yet. John, I mean, just when you think that's, wow, that's full, that's big. That's not just some guy. He says this in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. That is, you wanna see the glory of God? It's not found in whatever direction I think my life's going or, or the desires that I think I need to have fulfilled or the details that I need worked out. You wanna know where you see the glory of God? <laughs> this word, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, listen to this, full, full of grace and truth. Can you hear, can you hear how full that afternoon was? See, don't just read the sentence. That afternoon was so full. And John said it, it's full of truth. You know what happens when you sit down to spend an afternoon with Jesus? You get the fullness of truth about you. And this is where a lot of people get stopped because part of the fullness of that truth is that you and I are sinful human beings. But see, we live in this culture that doesn't like to hear that. We live in a culture that really likes the comparisons and maybe minimize some sins and maximize others. And it becomes this big game of comparison. And, and that's not full truth. Full truth is you, me, every single person who ever existed, we're sinful. Our human nature has been tainted by sin. Now, here's, here's the other part of that fullness. Fullness of truth, fullness of grace. There's the fullness of our sin. There's the fullness of all that Jesus is. He's the word of God but there's also the fullness of his grace. That when God looks upon you and me, he says, you know what? You're a sinner. And the great, great news for you is I love sinners. See, many of us just aren't comfortable with being referred to as sinners. <laughs> that's really what it is. Ah, uh, that's all church ever talks about. And the whole thing is when I can accept the truth of who I am, then I can accept the fullness of the truth that I'm a sinner who is loved with all the fullness of his grace and truth. That even, as Paul said, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you had perfect church attendance, not when you were, just had a perfect track record, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'm telling you, you sit with that for an hour, for an afternoon, and it becomes very full of God's glory very quickly. See, the very presence of Jesus is undermining anything in our life that is not as full as it should be. That's why he undermines. You think that he's trying to torture you, the direction is going sideways and the desires aren't working out and I, I, you know, I gotta let go of all the details. He says, because I've got something more full. There's abundant life on the tail end of that. And so could I... Could I ask something of every single one of us as a church? Would you consider, and this is gonna be very anti-resolution because a resolution tends to rely on our ability to carry something out over and over and over. I just want you to one time try one thing. Would you find an hour? Would you find an afternoon? Or maybe would you find a day to spend in the presence of your savior, Jesus? Because Here's what I know. You, you may come out of it totally frustrated. You may come out of it angry. You may come out of it confused, unaffected. You may come out of it excited, inspired. You may implement it daily. 
You may do it one time, but I can promise you this. He will do something with it, even if you don't see it, even if you think it's just, it's just undermining even more of your life. He will do something with it. And I know that because of this detail that John gives at the end of verse 39 that we just read. Listen to it again. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Now, there is something fascinating here. The 10th hour, if you read some translations of the Bible, it'll say it was about four in the afternoon. Other translations of the Bible will say it was about 10 in the morning. And people who love to say that the Bible contradicts itself, you know what they do? They'll point at something like that and go, see, they they can't even agree on what time of day it is. And it actually has nothing to do with differing accounts on the time of day. It has to do with the way that time was kept back then. There was a Jewish method of keeping time, and then there was a, a Roman method of keeping time. We are very familiar with the Roman method of keeping time. That is midnight to midnight is a day. And so the 10th hour, the 10th hour, John, as he wrote this, the gospel writer, John, he could have been writing about the Roman, the Roman way of keeping time, in which case he would write, it was the 10th hour, meaning it was 10 a.m. Now, here's why that matters. What happens at 10 a.m. for you? I mean, aside from you night owls, you're sleeping at that time still, okay? I still don't get it. But what happens at 10 a.m.? You're you're in the middle of something. You're getting going for the day. You're in a staff meeting. You're in class. You're on a Zoom call. You're running errands. You know what that says to me? In the middle of anything, at any time, any place, to anyone, Jesus can show up. And it might look like he's undermining things, but he can bring the fullness of the glory of God into the midst of anything we're up to. Now, Some believe that John was referring to the Jewish timekeeping method, which started around sunrise. So around 6 a.m., the 10th hour would mean about four in the afternoon. And you know what? If that's what John meant, you know what that would say? That it's just not too late. I mean, especially for us early birds, 4 p.m. is like, it's bedtime, okay? But it's not too late. There would have only been a couple hours of daylight left. And they may have been thinking, gosh, I don't have much time with him. And yet they spent that day with him. They spent that day with him. Now, regardless of which time it actually was of the day, here's what I want you to think about. We cannot absolutely know who this second disciple was. If you keep reading this passage, you discover one of the disciples was Andrew, the brother of Peter. The second disciple, we can't absolutely definitively say who it was, but from early, early on, early, early on, many scholars believe that the second disciple who went and spent the afternoon with Jesus was actually John, the one who wrote this gospel account of Jesus. Here's why that matters. This account of Jesus was written 60 to 70 years after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead. So I want you to think about that for a minute. On this day that John has spent the afternoon with Jesus, he noted something so powerful, so impactful happened to him that he never forgot the time. And it's not until 60 to 70 years later, he's an old man at this point. He's looking back and he goes, man, I I have seen a lot. And if you read about the life of John, he has seen a lot. 
I've gone through so much, and yet I will never forget the afternoon that I changed direction, that God got underneath my desires, that I let go of the details. I still remember that day. It was about the 10th hour. It was about 10 in the morning or four in the afternoon. See, isn't it true you've got some events in life that are kind of fuzzy? And maybe they meant something, but, but you know, you just can't remember exactly when it was. It's like when, I, when it stopped being fun to stay up past midnight. I don't know. I was around 24 or 25. But that was the moment I stopped caring about staying up after midnight, and I stopped caring about other people's opinions about it. But then there are the, the moments that mark us. Like our oldest daughter, Lainey. I will never forget. 217 in the morning, May 8th. 2007, when she was born. See, you remember those details. I'll never forget our second child, True. She was born at 11.28 in the morning. Lincoln, he came along at 2.21 in the morning. See, there is something about those moments that mark us, that God uses to mark us. Remember, I was talking to my wife about this passage. I was like, I remember it was 4 p.m. April 6th, 2002. You came through those doors with your dad and we got married. And just to tell you how powerfully that impacted me, she said, that's powerful. But our wedding was at 4.30 that day, Nathan. <laughs> we went, listen, I, I, you know, this is why John says it was about the 10th hour, okay? It was about, it marked him. Can you imagine that Jesus is a God who can fit eternity into the space of an afternoon. See, when you set aside an afternoon, you set aside an hour, you know what he does with it? He will mark you. And he will mark your life in such a way that you cannot resolve your way to what he has in store. You cannot just willpower it and motivate it and momentum. And I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna keep to it day after day after day. I gotta be honest, it falls so far short of what God has for your life. And you don't get to decide the direction and the desires may shift and look different than they do in the beginning. And you may not know all the details, but I'll tell you what, you will never forget the afternoon that you chose to spend with him in the way he marks you. You know what happens? It starts happening over and over again. Every single week, I get the privilege of getting to share his word. And you know what happens every week? When I get to spend time with him, I come away going, that's my favorite passage right there. And then the next week, oh, no, no, no. That was my favorite passage. It has nothing to do with sermons or anything like that. It's just, God, you did something with your word in my heart that translates into my life. You know what happens? You start remembering the days and the times. And so I'd ask you one time, would you try it? Would you find an afternoon? Would you find an hour? And I know that's a bold claim that it would only take once, but it's a God-sized claim and it's one he answers every single time. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up here. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, <laughs> You are a God who looks upon us. And I have to wonder if at times you think that's cute. <laughs> you know, those, those plans that you've got, that's cute, but I've, I've just got something more. And so Lord, would you remind us, would you remind us of this passage? As we camp out in this passage for a few weeks, uh, bring us back to it.
this week. Bring us back to what that afternoon must have been like for Andrew and for the second disciple that we think was John. But Lord, we don't wanna just read about the fullness of your glory, your truth, your grace, your word, your light, your life. We don't just wanna read about it in the lives of others. We wanna experience that. And so I pray for every single person here, regardless of what that time with you looks like, Lord, would you do what we've seen you do over and over and over in the heart of every single person here as we look toward 2021? Yes, we wanna eat healthy. We wanna exercise more. And these are good things. But Lord, let us, let us always be on the lookout for what you're up to in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.